Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. I'm, I'm so glad we lift up the name of Jesus here. It's beautiful. Beautiful thing. And uh, just as that song was being sung, I was, there's no equal, no rival. That is so true. And we lift up his name here because it's the only name that saves. The name of Jesus. And so, I'm so grateful for uh, that song and just the praise team singing today. It was good. Good. Take your Bibles, if you will, today to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 45. We're in a series called Join the Journey, going through the book of Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today's title is, in, is Something's Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give. And as I get into this message today, let me at least take a moment. Some of you have asked me about what's going on with our full-time praise worship leader search. And so I thought rather than just kind of rambling up here, I thought I wrote a letter and I'd like to read it to you and I'll post it on the website or some way to communicate tomorrow. But here's where we're at, okay? Here's where we're at in our search. As you know, the first year after Braden left, uh, Devin had done the praise team uh, coordination and then he stepped down from that just because of health reasons mainly, but other reasons as well. But then we started to go on a rotation basis. So we've been on a rotation basis through January 2022 forward for the last six, seven months. So here's what I wrote. Dear Tribe Baptist Church, several members have been asking for an update on the full-time worship pastor search. A search team was assembled and assigned this task back in late January 2022 to begin the process for hiring a full-time worship leader. The search team, along with the chairman of the team, Kyle Cox, had collected, processed, and interviewed several candidates. In July, the search team unanimously approved one candidate to bring to the church for a vote. This candidate had also been approved by our praise teams and even staff. However, after this person accepted our initial offer, he backed out of the offer at a later point and decided not to pursue the position at Triad Baptist. In mid-July, this left the search team with the difficult and unexpected task of going back to the drawing board. They again collected and processed potential candidates. We have two candidates under serious consideration to date, and we hope to be able to go through the necessary candidate steps again, which include interview with the search team, interview with the staff, lead the practice with the current praise teams, lead at a church worship service, interview with deacons, and finally take a church vote. As you can see by all the people and tasks involved in this process, it takes time to accomplish this goal. I'd also like to say that I'm so thankful for the current interim leaders who have been leading the praise worship on a rotation basis. They, bring, they each bring their unique skill sets and personality to the worship service. I want to thank each of them and the teams that assist them each Sunday. We had hoped to have the position replaced by now, but we are waiting on God's timing and our due diligence to do everything we can to find the right person for this critical ministry. We also appreciate your patience as we carefully work through this process in the most efficient manner possible. After all, it is better to take the necessary, unexpected, and extended time to ensure the quality of this candidate than to fill the position and regret it soon after. We covet your prayers in this matter. Sincerely, Pastor Rob. So that's kind of a little update. I'll post that on the website. You can read that more uh, thoroughly if you'd like to, but it has been a process, and so I'm just going to leave it right there. I don't want to spend more time with that, but we are doing our due diligence from our end, seeking out candidates, interviewing them, going through the whole process, and, and it is a timely, uh, a timely thing, and we just, we really don't want to make a mistake. That's really what it comes down to for us, so it was a little longer than we'd expected. Okay, Mark chapter 1, stand with me now. We're going to read verses 29 to 45. It's a lengthy portion of scripture, but it's worthy of our time. It says in verse 29 of Mark 1, And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When the evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to, to the towns nearby, so they may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around so, to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in the unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. You may be seated. <clears throat> Something's got to give. It's very clear to me that this is the first day of Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1, and he is super busy. Super busy. He's going to be super busy on day one, day two, all the way through his ministry until he gets to the last week of his life. Then he's kind of not busy, but he's going to a cross. But he is a super busy person, especially in this portion of Scripture. Do you ever have super busy days? I guess that goes without asking. And sometimes you get so busy in those days, I know what you say because I say it. Something's got to give. Something has got to give on this day. <clears throat> Thank you for turning that mic off while I drank that water. Here's the question I want to ask you today as I get into this message. This is very, very important to me today. What gives in your life when something has to? What gives in your life when something has to? What's prone to suffer in your life when you have a super busy day? That's a good question to reflect on today, and that's the answer I want to come to in the Word of God. Now, I know some of your answers already because I've already wrote down my answers, and when I get a super busy day, one thing I'll say is I'll give up sleep. Maybe I'll get up earlier or I'll go to bed later. That's what I typically do. Maybe I got some tasks to do. Some of you working on master's degrees. Some of you are really busy with school and you have to stay up later because you've got a family or you've got some things that are, that are coming against you. And so that's one of our first responses is we give up sleep. Some of us change our eating habits. When we get really super busy, all of a sudden a, a, a nice prepared cooked meal at home is out of the question. Grab something at the fast food place. We're going to be eating that. We're just too busy today. Just grab something to eat. Or let's bring something home. Or let's go out to eat. That's another thing we do on super busy days to deal with the super busyness. Now let me go a little deeper than that because those are kind of minor things on the outside. But let me go a little deeper of what we do when we get busy. Now this is a confession right up front, okay? And I feel like I need to make it. I sometimes don't communicate well with the people I love. 
I hate to admit that, but I know when I get super busy, I don't communicate well to the people I love. I don't listen as well as I should. I'll just say it, I get short. Okay, that's out on the table. That's the only confession I'm making today, but I wanted you to hear that because we all sometimes do that. Now, you may do that, and that's not a good thing to do with the people you love, but let me tell you something worse than any of those things. Worse than all of those things, when you get really super busy, is to press pause on your spiritual life. To press pause on your spiritual life. That's the worst thing you could do. You get into a habit and pretty soon you're praying a little less. Or you're not reading your Bible like you should and, and you know it and it, it bothers you a little. But then you go day one, day two, maybe three days and, and if you're not careful, it won't be long till you wake up one morning and you're like, what happened? I lost my joy. I don't feel connected to my father. And you'll get exasperated. It happens. It happens to all of us. And the problem then becomes we have no positive eternal impact on the people around us. And we know it. Now, I want to say this up front. Okay, knowing what to give up sometimes is hard. And you're going to have to figure that out in your life because I'm going to talk about that today. How do you figure out what to give up? It's very hard sometimes. I want to give you three guiding principles that Jesus followed when he was super busy. Three guiding principles that Jesus followed when he was super busy. And I think they can help you because they've helped me immensely. All right, principle number one. Jesus equated super busyness with I must spend time with the Father. This is so different than the way we think, but this is how Jesus did it. Jesus equated super busyness with I must spend time with the Father. There's no doubt if you go back to the days when I preached a couple weeks ago and I said that, uh, number one, that Jesus, it was a Saturday morning and he preached in the synagogue and the people were really impressed and there was power in his words and then a demon spoke up in the synagogue and burst out against him and Jesus cast out that demon. That was the start of his day on Saturday. After he got done with the time in the synagogue, then they went to Peter's, uh, Peter's house where his mother-in-law was sick. And so Jesus is like, yeah, we got to get something to eat. I'm hungry. And so they go to Peter's house, and he finds out when he gets there, the mother-in-law is very sick with a fever, and she's in the bed. And so Jesus goes over to her, and he heals her. He heals her of her fever, and she raises up, and the first thing she wants to do is she wants to cook a meal. Well, that's great, because that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to eat. And so she serves them, the Bible says. She ministers to them. That's the word there. It's a beautiful word because it really is a theme in the book of Mark, but I'm not going to go there this morning. But he's insanely busy on this day. Evening comes, and the sun's going down. Now, we don't know what time of year it is. We just know it's Saturday evening. So we don't know if it's 6 o'clock when it went down or 8 o'clock. I've been to Israel, and the sun goes down a lot faster there than here. I'm not sure why that is, but it goes down very very fast. And so as the sun begins to go down, people are coming to the door of Peter's house, and they are packing it out. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the whole city was gathered at the door. Now, we can roughly estimate the town of Capernaum had about 10,000 people in it. It wasn't a huge town, but it wasn't a small town at that time. 
And so everybody, not just hyperbole, but everybody who's got a demon-possessed friend or relative or everybody who's sick with a disease, they're bringing these folks to the door of Peter's house. Now, maybe this is like 500 to 1,000 people. We don't really know, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of people there at the door. And Jesus begins to work the crowd one by one, one by one. And he goes into the wee hours of the evening, late at night. He's been up all morning, and he goes into the wee hours of the night, and he is physically exhausted. You ever been physically exhausted? And he puts his head, he goes home, he goes into his bedroom that night at Peter's house, he puts his head on the pillow, and before he falls asleep, you know what's on his mind? He says to himself, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to spend time with my father. Super busy, and he's going to be super busy tomorrow. So he says, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to spend time with my father. So he intentionally plans at that point to get up early. All right? There's two repetitive phrases here I want you to see because you don't need both of them, but Mark wants to emphasize this in verse 35. In the early morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. All right? Notice the two phrases. Early morning, isn't that enough to say he got up early in the morning? But the writer wants to tell you this is such an intentional practice on his part, and it wants to reference the time while it was still dark. It was very dark outside. So it's very early in the morning. And then there's four action verbs there. Okay, you can pick up on him because this is the way Mark writes. Okay, he gets up, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place, and he prayed. Okay, so the four action verbs are rise, depart, go to the desert place, and pray. This is how Mark does it. Mark is a book of immediately's. Everything's immediate because the whole point of the immediately throughout the Bible, and you can interpret this in the book of Mark specifically, is that Jesus is intentional. He's intentional about healing people, he's intentional about preaching, but he's intentional about getting with the Father. And that's what the writer wants you to know, all right? So he goes out to a desert place, he gets outside of the city limits. Now, what do most of you do when you get up early? I know what most of you do, you get the coffee, okay? Now, I'm not criticizing anybody for getting coffee because it's a beautiful thing for most of you, right? But he has no coffee, no fireside warmth, no blanket, he just gets up and he goes to a desolate desert place. That's not where I want to have my devotions. That's not where I want to do it. I don't want to do it in a desert place. But he does it <clears throat> because he's very intentional and it's on his heart. Now, there, this is the way I thought when I read it, okay? If there was ever a day you could go to somebody and say, man, you had a long day yesterday. Why don't you just sleep in, Jesus? You deserve it. You need to sleep in. You were really busy yesterday. See, that, that is so counter to the way that he is thinking because I want you to know something. Jesus equates super busy not with getting more rest. He equates super busyness with, I got to get to the Father and I got to pray. How about you? How about you? Now, here's the thing I miss. This is what the Spirit of God spoke to me about. The thing Jesus had that I so often miss it's not that I just got to get up and meet with God. That's not it. And that's not what, I'm not going to put guilt on you over that. It's not to just get up early. 
It's the anticipation that the Father's waiting for me. That's the key. There's an anticipation that God's waiting to meet with me. And I want you to know that for you. He wants to meet with you. And the anticipation drives you to want to do that, not because you have to do it. Because I don't want you to legalistically do this. I want you to say, I'm anticipating meeting with the Father. He's waiting for me. He wants to speak to me, and I want to speak to him. The best way I know how to describe this to you, it's like Jesus is like a kid on Christmas morning. Now, do you ever have to get your kid up on Christmas morning? <laughs> no, you don't. One time my kid was up on, it was, it was late at night. He wouldn't go to bed, and at midnight I went out to the uh, tree. I was just going to check on everything, and there was my little boy, Zach, at the time, and he was sitting by his presence. He looked at me and he said, is it too early? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Get in bed, kid. Because <laughs> I was still finishing up things and stuff. But I thought to myself, the anticipation of a child on Christmas morning will get him up every time. The anticipation of his gifts. The anticipation of a celebration on Christmas Day. Let me tell you what it was like for me. Jesus is like when I was in Jerusalem. When I was in Jerusalem, I had to go 17 days on my doctoral program, and I had to do archaeological digs. I had to go to certain sites. We had to do certain homework. We had to be at lectures. We had a lot of things that we had to do in those 17 days, and we toured all of Israel. We toured all of it, everywhere. The hard part about that was it's the longest time I've ever been away from my wife before then and now today. The longest I'd ever been away from my wife was maybe four or five days but now I was away 17 days. After 17 days was over, I wanted to leave Israel. I didn't care if I saw another thing. I didn't care if we did archaeological digs. I didn't care what we learned because I was getting homesick for my wife and my kids. I wanted to get home. I wanted to get home. The day we left, the day we left, I got up at 5 a.m. My bags were packed at the hotel. Nobody was down there but me. I was ready to get out of there. But we had to spend the whole day from uh, Haffa which is where Peter's, that Simon Tanner was, Hoffa, we spent the day there, did some touring there, some, some archaeological digs, and then we went from there over to Tel Aviv. So we didn't fly out till the evening because international flights don't go out till the evening. It didn't go out till 8 o'clock. So from the time I got up at 5 in the morning, I want you to know I was up over 30 hours before I got home. And so on the way back, they show you the same movies that they showed you on the way to Israel. So in 2003, when I went, uh, I watched my big fat Greek wedding, which just came out, and I watched Sip, the first Spider-Man that came out. I know that dates me here, but it was a long time ago. So I watched those two movies. On the way back, I can't sleep on an airplane on 12 and a half hour flights. I slept maybe two hours total the whole flight. Just can't get to sleep. So I'm studying. I'm trying to do everything I can. So I watched my big fat Greek wedding again. And I watched Spider-Man again. And I just couldn't wait to get home. I've been away 17 days. So I got into Newark, then we flew over to Greensboro, I got home about 11.30, and I squeezed my wife like I had never squeezed her in my whole life, and I said, man, I'm so glad to be home. And she said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to see the kids, and I want to go to Burger King. So let's go to Burger King first. And so we went to Burger King, the kids were at school, and so we went to Burger King, got a Whopper, and I ate that Whopper, it was so good. I came home, I'm laying down, I know I'll be asleep just in a few minutes, and uh, I said, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm, I'm going to go to the grocery store. The thought hit me. I'll go with her. I said, I'm going with you. She said, you're going to go with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm going with you. She said, what's wrong with you? 
I said, nothing. I just want to be with my wife. Is there anything wrong with wanting to be with your wife? You don't usually go to the grocery store. What's wrong with you? My spider senses are tingling. That's what's wrong with me. And so I said to myself, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with her to the grocery store. So here I am, having slept in over 30 hours now. I go to the grocery store with her, wait till the kids get home. I hug my kids, have a great little time, and then I collapse. I slept 15 hours that night. But what am I telling you that for? The anticipation of getting home drove me. Now, I told you those two little short stories because I want you to know, and I wrote this down. If you have found that getting up to meet with God is tough, maybe you need to amp up the anticipation of what's waiting for you if you do. And maybe some of you don't have that anticipation, but if you'll amp up the anticipation, he's waiting to meet you. It'll get you excited about getting up early in the morning. Okay, that's point number one. Let's go to point number two. Jesus equates super busy with a need to quiet your heart. Verse 36 says, Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Now, this struck me, and I want to bring this point out. They searched for him. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. It's a, it's a thinly veiled criticism. What are you doing? What are you doing out here in the desert? You don't got time to pray. We are super busy. There are hundreds of people at my door again. They're from the whole town. You got to go, man. We got to go. We got to strike the iron when it's hot. We're busy. We don't got time to pray. That's, that's basically what he's saying. Jesus, we got to perform miracles. We got people dying. We got some things going here, man. What is wrong with you? That's, that's what Peter's saying to him. I mean, John has been tweeting about you all day on social media. He's been telling you great services, people getting demons cast out. Can't, see what, can't wait to see what God's going to do today. Andrew wants to plant a church in Capernaum. This is where the healing begins. Oh, that tagline would work so much, Jesus. We can use that one. This is where the healing begins. And, and, and can you just see these guys with this spirit of, man, we are going to blow this town up for Jesus. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? This is not the time to pray. You're too busy. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Now, here's what I want you to get. Peter cannot connect the dots. And I'm asking you here today, are you really connecting the dots about this life you live? Are you connecting the dots? Because the truth of the matter is, Peter's thought was, we have lots of people to minister to, and we don't have time to pray. Jesus' thought is, we have lots of people to minister to, but we have to pray. How do we miss that? that? That's connecting the dots, but sometimes that's so hard to understand in our life. A.W. Tozer says it best in that incredible Christian. He says, sometimes when you're busy, to sit down and pray can feel counterintuitive because you've got a big to-do list. That's so good. That word counterintuitive, counterintuitive. 
We don't think when we're busy, the first thing to do is to pray. What we think is, we got to get busy with our list. And Tozer says, it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Prayer can feel counterintuitive. It can feel like it's the biggest waste of time in your life. But make no mistake about prayer, okay? Make no mistake about this. The Bible is filled with hundreds and hundreds of promises, but many of them are only released through prayer. That's that's so important for me to say to you today because I want you to get that. Not a guilt thing. It's that you want to release some promises through prayer. You say, like what? Well, to tell us things we don't know. That's one thing he does in prayer, to give us wisdom, to give us direction. He wants to tell us, I listen to you when you pray. I listen to you. You may not believe it, you may not feel it, but I listen to you when you pray. That's what he tells us in the Word. Well, I feel like I'm getting nowhere. I feel like my prayer's hitting the ceiling and coming right back. Jesus says, no, that's not true. I listen to you. Well, then why have you even done anything about it? I'm listening to you. Regardless of what you think I do with your prayer, I'm listening to you. So all these things are important things to understand about releasing the promises. Now, the temptation you all have is this, and the temptation I have is I'll take a shower, I'll get to work, I got so much to do, and at lunch I'll catch up with my prayer time, I'll catch up with my Bible time, I'll catch up with Jesus. See, because it's, What Jesus did is so counterintuitive to us and the way we think. We'll just catch it up later. But it is counterintuitive to quiet your heart on a busy day. It's counterintuitive to quiet your heart on a busy day. To intentionally sit down before the Father and pray. The disciples' thought was, it's a day to start working. Jesus' thought was, it's a day I'm going to have to get up early today and go meet with the Father. Both of them knew they had a busy day, but Jesus said, i got to get up early. Okay, that's number two. Number three, number three. Jesus equates super busy and prayer as a time to prioritize. Okay, let me just, i got to be careful here at my time, so let me just kind of get to this. Sometimes it's hard to choose the right thing to do when you're busy. Here's Jesus, he's the son of God, okay? And he's a human being. And, and I can just kind of hear his prayer. And I want to, this is just my thoughts on his prayer, my imagination on his prayer. It goes something like this. Man, Jesus, or, or Father, I had a long day yesterday. And I got a feeling I'm going to have another long day. And these have been unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life, these long days and so much to do. So I know I'm going to have another full day. What's the best way to spend my day? Tell me what to do, where to go. Father, will you be with me today and lead me? I just want to follow you. And amazingly, God the Father gave him an answer. God the Father gave him an answer about how to handle his day. 
So much so that when the disciples said, come on back to the house, man, we're packed. You've got to get back there. The crowd's so big. Jesus knew exactly what to say to Peter. Look what he says to Peter. Here's the answer he got from the father. Let, verse 38, let us go somewhere else. <laughs> the town's nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. That, I love this. I love this. The Spirit of God was just speaking to me about this. Jesus knew exactly what to say to Peter because he prayed to the father. He knew the next step at that point. Peter says, there's hundreds of people at my house. Jesus said, let's leave them there and go to the next town. Go back, get your stuff, pack it up. We're going to the next town. How could you do that, Jesus? I mean, there's people dying. There's people that are going to die if we don't do something about it. Get your stuff, pack it up. We're going to the next town. That's a hard call, isn't it? That's a hard call when you got two things and you don't know what's the best thing to do. What should I choose? Jesus said, we're going to the next town to preach. He got that answer through prayer. Hundreds of people need help. They're dying. And Jesus says, leave them there. We're going to the next town. And I'm going to preach. I want to just have you think about that for a minute. There's something Jesus knew that sometimes we don't get. If I could heal everybody in here of any disease or anything they've got, you probably would love me the rest of your life. But you know, it would be possible for someone who doesn't know the Lord and to heal them, live an extra 20 to 30 years and die and go to hell. And what good did their healing do if they die and go to hell? Jesus knew it was far more important to preach the gospel than to heal people. Healing was just the route to get to the preaching so they would listen. But they got so caught up in the healing, they missed the whole point of why it came. That's why nobody is declaring him as Lord except the demons. All the way through chapter 8, who is this guy? They won't proclaim him as Lord because they see him as a miracle worker. That's what they want. That's what the disciples want. Just heal these people. Jesus said, I got something more important to do. I got to preach. Have you ever been stuck between two good things on a busy day? Okay, I'm just asking you to think it through in your life. Two good things on a busy day, and you don't know what's the best. Stephen Covey says, the greatest enemy of the best is the good. That's stuck with me my whole life. The greatest enemy of the good, you're going to do a lot of good things with your life, but they're not the best things. And the greatest enemy is not the bad things, it's the good things that have robbed you of the best things. That's what Covey says. But what good is that going to do you to know that principle? Because you may define good and best better than I define good and best. So Stephen Covey can only give you the principle, but he can't give you the answer. I can only give you the principle, but I can't give you the answer. And you know what? You can't even answer it yourself. That's why you got to go to the Father. You have got to go to the Father because you need the best answer for your busy day. And, and Covey can't give it to you. I can't give it to you. You don't even really know the answer, but he does. And so when Jesus had to figure this out, heal people, preach. Heal people, preach. What should I do, Father? What should I do? He walked away and he said, preaching is more important than healing. Now, do you believe that? Do you even believe that statement? Preaching is more important than healing. That's, that's what Jesus concluded. And so he literally does it 
And God multiplies the work all throughout Galilee instead of just Capernaum. All right, Jesus spent time with his father and he was the son of God. How much more should we spend time with the father? We need these kind of answers when we're in tough places. What's good, what's best? What's good, what's best, Jesus? I gotta know, Father. Just think about this for a minute. Just, I'm just challenging. What would happen if you got up really early one day this week and tried this? Just did it really early. It's dark. And you get up. Just try it. That's all I'm asking you. Just try it. Just try it. Okay, so as a result of his prayer life, he now meets a leper. And he is going to preach the gospel not to the leper, but through the leper. This is incredible. He's going to preach the gospel not to the leper, but through the leper. And the leper is going to be an example of the preached word. So, the leper is begging Jesus. He's down on his knees. If you are willing, I know you can do it. I believe you can do it. But you've got to be willing to do it to me, Jesus. Will you heal me? Now, I want you to understand this with the time I have left. Leprosy was the greatest fear in that day. It'd be like stage four metastasized cancer, and you got no recourse today. That's the comparison. Leprosy was like that. There were 72 different kinds of leprosy, 72 different kinds of skin diseases, from eczema, psoriasis, seborrhea, all the way to Hansen's disease where your fingers fall off. Those were all the ranges of leprosy in that day. Now, the amazing thing about this is if you got leprosy in that day, it was disastrous because what it kicked into motion. The first thing you had to do is if you just had a scab on your arm, you had to go to the priest and the priest had to inspect it. And he would quarantine you for seven days and then he would check it again. He'd quarantine you for seven days and check it again. So you had to get away from your family. You talk about what we went through with COVID. This doesn't, this, COVID doesn't touch what they had to do back then because they had to go to these leper colonies and they had to get away from their family and they had to get away from everyone. They had to leave their family. Then they had to tear their clothes and look disheveled and they had to let their hair grow out like a woolly booger. You say, why? Because if they came anywhere near you, they, they, you would know that's a leper. That's a leper. That'd be like you going into a COVID ward and, and seeing all those people and going up to them and talking to them. No, no, you'd steer as clear as you could from a COVID ward. Why do you think so many people have quit the healthcare industry and stepped away from it? Just the unknown with COVID. And that's what they were going through in this day, but far worse because if they, were, they had to stay 50 paces away, according to the law, from people, and then they had to cry out to them, unclean, unclean, or they would be stoned. They had to wear a cloth mask over their mouth. They were expelled from society and their family. Either you would die in quarantine, or you had to be completely healed and inspected by the priest every 21 days. So, understand this. This is the quote of the day. Um, to be a leper is the ultimate curse. Rabbis would say it's better to die than to be a leper. And you could just have psoriasis, but you had to quarantine for that time till it was healed. Literally, I want to tell you something. This guy's like the walking dead. Now, how close do you get to the walking dead? I mean, you've seen the show. Okay, so the walking dead. 
Now the leper hears a miracle worker's in town, Jesus, through the shouts and testimonies of others. He sees Jesus, he runs to him, he breaks all the mosaic rules. He shouldn't be within 50 paces, he shouldn't even get near to him, he shouldn't even bow down, he shouldn't even breathe on him. All right, and he cries out, if you're willing, I know you can, but if you're willing, will you heal me? Will you heal me? Jesus is moved with compassion. He's gripped by the plight of this man. He sees what sin's curse has done to people. It has made them lepers. It has made them lepers. And his heart goes out to them. You know why? Because people matter to Jesus. I don't care who it is. The born or the unborn, they matter to Jesus. The young, the old, the minority, the immigrant. Our society is completely going against this. The black, the white, the rich, the poor. Because that person has dignity and is made in the image of God. Now, watch the gospel lived out. The Bible says in verse 41 that Jesus said, I will, I'll do it. You came to me in faith, I will do it. And he touched him and brought healing to this leper. Now, what's the point? What should have happened is the exact opposite. If a leper who cannot touch you, if a leper touches you, you're contaminated and you got to go to a leper colony and you die. But the exact opposite happened here. The one who should have died, Jesus, because he was touched by a leper, reaches out and touches the leper. Who have you touched with COVID? Knowingly touches this leper. And he's not contaminated. He's not filled with dirt. Instead, he brings healing to the leper. The leper did not bring death or contamination to Jesus. There's the gospel. You got to get this. There's the gospel. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are condemned, filthy, and unclean. Every one of us, like a leper from head to toe. There's no hope. We're quarantined. We're going to lose our family. We're going to lose our life. We're going to waste away to our death like this leper. No hope. Stop saying you're not a bad person. It's one of the worst things that will never get you to heaven. I'm not a bad person. Yes, yes, you are. You're not as bad as the people in the Montgomery prison in West Virginia, but you are a bad person. Stop saying there's something in me that's worthy of forgiveness. Stop. You are not worthy of forgiveness. That'll never get you to heaven. As long as you think there's something in you you have to offer to Jesus. That's all of man's religion. You got to do something and perform to get there. And Jesus says, no, none of that will work. You're guilty from head to toe. You're unclean like a leper. And you have to admit your guilt before a holy God and say, Jesus, you died on the cross. Save me from my sin. That's your only hope. That's the only thing you got going for you is that Jesus is willing to touch you and cleanse you like he cleansed this leopard. And by the way, when you get to know the men in the prison up in Montgomery, West Virginia, I was there for three different modules that I did. I taught counseling in the Pentateuch on two different occasions and then another course. It's amazing to me when you go through five levels of maximum security to get to that final level where you teach at the educational wing. It's terrifying to think, what if I can't get out of here? I went through five security levels to get to the place I had to get to. And they start, you know what they do the first three days when you're working with prisoners? 
Now, these guys are on good behavior. They had to be on good behavior for seven years to get into this educational program. So it's not like somebody's going to pull a knife on me, I think. Okay? And so, anyways, um, you know what you find out when you work with them for a few days? Everybody's innocent. Nobody's guilty. Oh, golly, I went to this. We should just open up the whole place, let them all go home. They're all innocent. That's for about three or four days. You know what happens about five, six, seven days? They start telling you the truth. And they start telling you their stories. And I know 20 to 25 stories that just sometimes I still have flashbacks of them. I'm not going to tell you them all. All I want you to know is one that comes to my mind is a guy who came in with a shotgun. His wife was running around on him. He broke into the guy's home. He went up to the bedroom. That guy was already getting out of the bed from his wife. And coming to the door, he broke in the door and he shot a gu- his shotgun right through the belly of that guy. And the bullet went through him and it went into his wife's heart on the bed. He killed his wife. And the man went to ICU and lived. He came to kill the man and he killed his wife. And he's in prison today for the rest of his natural life. No probation in West Virginia. It's not like other states. No probation. The Spirit of God spoke to me when I heard that story. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and he said this to me. Rob, one day, you and that guy, because he knows Jesus is the Savior, will both go to heaven. And you will both walk into heaven under the same merit person and work of Christ. You've done nothing more than that guy has done. He's paying his consequences on this earth, but he will walk in the same way you'll walk in. Preacher and murderer both needing total cleansing from head to foot were lepers lepers. Jesus says, I can make you clean. Will you bow the knee? Will you call me Lord? Will you confess your sin? Will you not come up with all these excuses? Will you just own it? Admit your guilt and come to me for your forgiveness. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm really out of time here, but Jesus says to the guy, now don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Now, really, Mark is not rebuking this leper for telling people. He says to Jesus, okay, I won't tell nobody. (laughs) He steps out, and he gets across the street, and he says, you ain't going to believe what happened to me. I'm healed. I was the leper. Look at my torn clothes. Look at my woolly booger hair. Look at the way I look. I am healed. I don't got one thing on me, no leprosy at all. I'm clean because of Jesus. Jesus just said to him, don't tell nobody. But the leper couldn't help himself. Now that struck me. Which of you have ever been touched by Jesus? Had your sins forgiven? How could you possibly keep that to yourself? How could you do it? How could you go day after day after day and not let anybody know you've been touched? See, you can't. It just comes out of you. 
That's why I've told my septic man. That's why I told my barber. That's why I've told my neighbors. That's why I've told co-people co, uh, that I deal with in situations. Because there's something in me. I've got to let it get out. I can't keep quiet about this. Mark's point, that's Mark's point. I'm telling you, we try to keep it a secret. But when Jesus moves, people talk. And when people talk, it's beautiful and it spreads. It spreads. It's just, that's the, it's just so simple. Now, Jesus could no longer go into towns, the Bible says, but the whole point is he was called to go out to the desert and preach anyways, and so he was accepting that as God's will, that he couldn't go into the cities anymore. So he's not trying to condemn this guy. He's trying to say that's what anybody naturally would do if they were healed of leprosy from toe to foot, or they were healed internally in their sin-stricken dead heart. And if he gave them a new heart, they're going to want to tell somebody. I don't have to talk you into that. You know it. Okay, application, I'm done. If you want to be used of God to help change someone's life, you need to be praying more. And I promise you, he'll use you. And maybe there'll be a leper that's cleansed because of your work, and you give him joy. That's a beautiful thing to think on. Let's pray. If you're here and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, now's the time to settle that. There's nothing good in yourself. Your sin deserves judgment. But Jesus will save you if you own it, if you admit it, if you come guilty. Head to toe, head to toe. Don't find something you're worthy of forgiveness for. Don't try to tell people I'm not that bad, I'm a good person. No, stop. Just come to Jesus and say, I'm guilty. My sin deserves judgment. Save me, Jesus, save me. If you've never done that, you can receive him right now and say, Jesus, save me. I repent of my sin. I own it. Save me. I put my faith and trust in you. There it is. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. If you've done that, I'm not going to take the time right now, but if you've done that, made that decision here this morning to receive Jesus, please let me know or let someone here know. You can fill out that card and drop it to us or you can just tell me, I'd love to know. I'd love to pray for you and know that you're truly saved. Then I would just speak to my people for just a moment. I want you to be used of God and to help change someone's life. But you've got to pray to that end. You've got to pray to that end because that's how Jesus would do it. Father, I lift up each one in this room for your presence and your power over their life. Work through them. God, we all got super busy days, and sometimes we have to make some hard decisions about what is good and what is best. I seek your wisdom for that in my life, and I seek it for my people. I pray a discerning spirit over them for each of their days. 
I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.